0: but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Back in uh, 2009, uh, there was an episode of Britain's Got Talent, kind of like the British version of American Idol, that um, may still be the most famous episode of that show uh, it involved a woman uh, named Susan Boyle. Anybody know Susan Boyle? Yeah, okay. Uh, so if you know this story, you're going to love it. And if you don't, you're going to love it. Um, but Susan Boyle is a contestant on the show who seems to have, um, we seem to expect very little from her. And she kind of surprises us a little bit. I want to show you just the beginning of her first audition.
1: So, Glasgow's got a great theatre, a lively crowd and a great atmosphere. So far though, there's just one thing missing. Talent. Yes, tensions are high backstage as everyone wonders where that talent is going to come from. But next up is a contestant who thinks she has what it takes to put Glasgow on the map. Hello there. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, how are you? My name is Susan Boyle. I'm nearly 48, currently unemployed but still looking and I'm going to sing for you on Britain's Got Talent today. Are nervous? Yeah, sure, no. Yeah, well, that's, that's not surprising. I've got like fighting you know. The moment I live in my my cat, called Pebbles. Ooh. But I've never been married.
0: I've
1: <laughs> never been kissed. Oh, shame. <laughs> but it's not an advert. <laughs> and you, have you done this for many a year? Since I was 12. Since you're 12? I've always wanted to perform in front of a large audience. I'm going to make that audience work. Hi, what's your name, darling? My name is Susan Boyle. Okay, uh, Susan, um, where are you from? I am from Whiteburn near Bathgate, West Lothian. It's a big town. It's a sort of collection of, it's a collection of uh, villages. I had to think there. And how old are you, Susan? I am 47. (laughs) And that's just one side of me. (laughs) Hello. Okay, what's the dream? I'm trying to be a professional singer. And why hasn't it worked out so far, Susan? I've never been given the chance before, but he's hoping it'll change. Okay, and who would you like to be as successful as? Elaine Page.
0: Elaine Page.
1: What are you going to sing tonight? I'm going to sing I Dreamed a Dream from the Miserables. Okay. (laughs) Big song. (laughs) Yeah? Yes.
0: the lady can sing. Uh, it's a it's such a great clip. Actually, I encourage you to go on YouTube and watch the whole thing. At the end of this little audition, all the judges do their speak up evaluation thing, and they all articulate what we were already thinking, which is, you know, you came out on this stage and you seemed um, unimpressive, right? You're, you you kind of dress frumpy and you do that weird thing with your hips, and uh, you're you're 47 and you're unemployed and you've never been kissed, and you know. We're not expecting a lot, and then she just blew everybody away. Um, fun fact, Susan Boyle, that was in 2009. As of 2021, um, Susan Boyle was uh, no longer unemployed. So she's sold 25 million records uh, since this show. Um, one of those is her debut album, I Dream to Dream, which is still, I think, one of the best-selling albums of all time. Uh, She's sung for the Queen. Uh, She's sung in Westminster Palace. She's kind of a big deal. Um, and what strikes me as interesting with her story is there, there's, kind of, um, there's kind of what we see, right, which is this quirky, odd woman who doesn't have a job and all these weird things, and there's what we don't yet see, which is this incredible future that she has and this majestic talent. And in between there, there's this dream, I know the song is I Dreamed a Dream. But did you notice the question that she was asked by Simon Cowell? Simon says, What's the dream? And she said, I want to be a professional singer. Uh, that dream she said she's had since she was 12. Now she's 47. It's a long time to keep hoping on a dream. It seems to me that this weird, wonderful moment on this television show from a decade or so ago really captures what's happening in our story with Joseph today. Uh, I think this is a story that functions on two levels. There is what we can see, there's what we cannot yet see, and then there's a dream that bridges the two. And I think that's true not just for our story uh, with Joseph, the son of Jacob, but also with our story of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and also with our own personal stories with God. So, I want to think about Two levels, what we can see, what we cannot yet see, and then the dream that bridges the two. Let's talk about Joseph first. Uh, Joseph, uh, on the level that we see, appears to be part of a dysfunctional family that's growing in quantity but not in quality. Uh, We have seen this family for now four generations, Abraham and Sarah and then Isaac and Rebecca and then Jacob and Leah and Rachel and Bilhah and Zilpah, and now they're 12 kids, And we've seen a lot of God's promises come true. We've seen the barren Sarah have a child. We've seen them begin to get land in Canaan. We've seen God to bless them. We've seen their numbers increase. But the central purpose of the whole Old Testament, the central purpose of the whole work of Israel is that somehow God says to Abraham, all families on the earth will be blessed through you. And it's still really hard to see that. still really hard to see in this story how this dysfunctional family that's fighting amongst itself is going to bring blessing to all the other families of the earth. We're told that Joseph brings a bad report about his brothers to their dad. No details. That's all we get. Brings a bad report. We're told that Joseph is the favorite son, and everybody knows it. We're told that Joseph gets a special coat. Ah, um, our translation actually said it's a long-sleeved robe. I grew up in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat translation um, from Andrew Lloyd Wright. Um, actually, Weber, yeah, one of those Andrew people. Um, in, uh, in the Hebrew, actually, the word is pasim, uh, and we actually don't know what that word means. Um, it's one of those weird moments where it's, uh, it's an adjective that we're not sure how to translate, So, it only shows up twice in the Hebrew Bible and not much outside of the Hebrew Bible. So, we just know it means a special robe, okay? Whatever this robe is, it's special. So, he's got a special robe, and we're told that his brothers can tell that he is more loved than them, and they can't speak to him peaceably. So in this family, what we can see is that things are broken, right? What we can see, first of all, that Jacob, who was the favorite of his mother, is playing favorites himself. If you've ever been in a family where you knew for sure that some other child was the favorite child, you know how incredibly painful that is. Even to think it is hard, but Jacob makes it visual, right? Jacob says, hey, wear this sign of your status and favor so everybody can see it all the time. I knew, by the way, that I was the only, uh, the, the favorite kid and the least favorite kid because I was the only kid, but um, what, what an incredibly painful thing to know you're not as loved as your sibling. Uh, and then we're told at the end of this story that their relationship between Joseph and his eleven brothers has broken down so significantly that they can't even talk anymore. There's actually a psychologist who does a lot of research into um, family relationships, especially marriages. Uh, I've forgotten his name, but he has this amazing statistic. Uh, within a 93% degree of accuracy, he's able to predict whether a husband and wife will stay married with over the next five years, just from one meeting with them. Uh, and he says, uh, the overwhelming critical factor about whether a marriage is going to work is not whether you fight a lot or whether you argue a lot or whether you agree all the time. He says the number one overriding factor that tells him a marriage is going to fail is contempt. Uh, contempt, when, when your spouse is talking and you're rolling your eyes at your friends. Right? When you get to the point, not where you're fighting all the time, but where you are done fighting because you just don't care anymore. Um, When you get to the point where you just can't even talk anymore, that's where Joseph and his brothers are. They've stopped engaging, and this family just seems messed up. And and I got to say, this may be sometimes correctly how the world sees us, Sometimes the world sees us as, hey, yeah, those Christians, they always say they're all about loving their neighbor, but I haven't experienced it in my life. Hey, yo, oh, those Christians, they're always saying they're about caring for the poor, but I always see them seem to be caring for themselves first. Hey, I, I heard that um, those Christians are supposed to be different, but they look like everybody else that I know. How are those Christians supposed to be the family that blesses the world? You can see the same problem in the life of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Hey, I got into this thing because I thought we were going to be a couple, and we were going to have a future together, and now you're pregnant by some other person. The way things look is not good. We've been um, working with our uh, confirmation students, uh, and in fact, we just met with our confirmands this morning and uh, did their examination. They did an amazing job. Um, One of the things I always ask our confirmation students to do is to think about a doubt or a question they have in their faith, something that they struggle with. Uh, And one of the questions that our confirmands asked in their statements of faith was, um, how can I know That God is with me when I don't feel that all the time? And how can I be, how can the church continue to be who we're supposed to be as messed up and broken as this world is? And I think those are great questions that say, hey, this is what we can see. And what we can see is dark, right? What we can see is a war in Ukraine and people in our lives dealing with illness and broken relationships, and our own sin. But there's a second level to our story. There's a second level to Joseph and Joseph's stories as well. There's the part that we can see, and then there's the part that we cannot yet see. How this self-conflicted family of Joseph could bless every family in the world. And, And we have a privilege here. We have the privilege of knowing the end of the story, This is kind of a neat thing for us. If you've never read Genesis before, hey, I'm going to ruin the surprise right now. Um, But at the end of the story of Joseph, he is a blessing to every family in the known world. At the end of the story of Joseph, there is a famine that affects literally every nation that Joseph has ever heard of. And only because of God working through Joseph, all of those families and all of those nations are saved. They have food. They literally survive. This is the hope right? that Joseph can't see it, but we know is coming. By the way, uh, the same thing we know happens with Jesus. Joseph, the husband of Mary, can't yet see what's to come. In fact, most scholars believe that Joseph dies before Jesus begins his public ministry. That's why we never hear about Joseph, the father of Jesus, after Jesus childhood, and yet we know the end of that story. We know what Christ accomplishes and who He is and what He does to save not only Joseph's people, but all people.